everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the host of The Conversation of Our Generation podcast, creator of the blog, main author on the blog, and the guy who you send your blog to if you want to get your uh, article on The Conversation of Our Generation. And I have a good show today about faith and really how it's less of a giant leap to get yourself started and generally a lot more of a small step at the end of a journey of learning and why it's kind of just that last little piece that of the puzzle that you have to kind of scrounge around for and you know think eh, is this gonna work and try it and see if it if it completes your puzzle and I think it's going to be a good episode. I think it's going to be a good one for around Christmas time, one that we can listen to and, or that you can listen to and kind of think about, you know, what your faith looks like if you have one. And if not, kind of consider why this day is important and, uh, and why it's important to people who are of faith and keeping that in mind. So I think it's going to be a good episode. I think you guys are going to like it. And before I get started and get going too far, I'd like to uh, let you know that you can find me on Twitter at ConOfOurGen. You can find me on Facebook.com slash Conversation of Our Generation. Obviously, you can find me on the blog ConversationOfOurGeneration.com. Uh, if you go to ConversationOfOurGeneration.com slash contact or any of the places where you can message me on social media platforms, just let me know and I can get you, you send me an idea for a blog or whatever and I can get you posted on our blog, get it out there for you. And more than that, to get it promoted out to my social channels and make sure it links back to you and whatever you're doing. So feel free to uh, send those over. And I have one last announcement before we get into our content for the day. We Do Better is an organization that is trying to help charities connect the resources that they need in order to meet the human needs that they're trying to meet with their organization and with the mission that drives them and fuels them to be such a great solution in helping people in your neighborhood, in your community. And what I love about We Do Better is that it allows me to be active and ensure that I am going to be helping the people in my community, the people that I see, the homeless people on my streets right in front of me, and those people that I know need help because it keeps everything local. It keeps my contributions to charities in the area that I live and not going to some far off place or getting sucked away by, you know, government waste. Instead, I know that I'm giving to a charity that is going to be servicing people in my community and is doing so better than other solutions out there. So if you want to get involved, go to wedobetter.org and Look around and see what great information there is there. There's plenty to look at. And then go to the contact part and tell them that you want to get involved. Or you can go to the Facebook page for We Do Better Indianapolis if you're in my area and let me know. Or search Facebook for your locality. Just We Do Better My City, My State, and see what's out there for you to get involved with. We'd love to have as much help as possible because we believe in this mission. We believe in what's going on with We Do Better because it's about we the people meeting the human needs in our communities and rallying around our community to make them better and to help people who really need it. 
the best way possible and the most efficient way possible. And that's what it's about. So if you want to get involved, again, it's wedobetter.org. Go there and contact them and let them know that you want to get involved. And with that, let's go ahead and hop into the quote of the week. And this one is from Voltaire, which I know is funny, uh, considering I don't think he was a very faithful person, if I'm correct. I might be wrong about that. I could be misattributing something to him, but uh, I don't think many of the people in his line of thinking in the Enlightenment enlightenment were very uh, faith-based. But he says, faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. And I'm sure that he is uh, probably trying to slight the idea of faith and kind of take a knock at it is what it sounds like because it's, he's a very, he tried to be a rationalist and, you know, uh, thinker and it was, he was kind of in the French uh, revolution side of the enlightenment rather than the blending of traditional values and you know, enlightenment values that you have in America, it was kind of this purely rationalist, uh, we can reason our way to anything. And so I think there's a problem with that because the thing that he's trying to say, I think it ends up being very close to what Aquinas comes up with in his, uh, one of his, in some of his proofs of God, which is basically that there's a series of chain of events that have happened that go back and back and back, but because the material world isn't infinite, we know that, right? It had to have a starting point, and whatever that immaterial thing is that brought forth the material world, you know, that's kind of what we talk about as God. It's, we, we, we don't talk about it as this man with the gray beard in the sky, like a lot of, you know, skeptics like to do about Christianity and think it's this goofy idea of this flying spaghetti monster or whatever, but it's really the last, the final assumption that you have to take if you run through a chain of logic. And so, yes, it is that step, you know, like I said, it's that small step you have to take at the end, but it's after reasoning your way through everything and walking back step by step of the logic of the universe as it unfolds, it tells the story that there is something that gave the universe logic. And we'll get a little bit more into this in the spiritual part of the episode, but this idea that Voltaire is talking about is kind of like Aquinas. I think he would argue, though, that it's this uh, big leap that you have to take to get your life started if you're an imbecile kind of what I think it sounds like he means, but I think it's interesting to see the congruency between this quote from someone who is probably not uh, a fan of what faith is and see its congruency to someone like Thomas Aquinas, who was a deep man of faith and a very good thinker and a much better thinker than Voltaire. Um, and just to see the similarities throughout time and the fact that the two people who disagree with each other say similar, similar things and mean them completely differently, which is funny. But with that, I like to kind of start talking about 
what the faith is at an individual level and what it means for, you know, me as a person, what I think we can take away from it as individuals, those of you listening to me. And the main thing is that at the individual level, faith is an essential part of sanity. Because, like I said, you know, you can trace back all these little occurrences back to the minutia and keep fiddling with it until you find every little detail that you can, but you're never going to get to the end of that tunnel of studying the natural world to the point that you can explain its self-propagation because, you, you know, even if we could find a physical cause for it, <laughs> there's a metaphysical logic behind the physical causes of everything that we have. And so it's really, a, in some ways, a way of saying, yeah, like, I don't have to know every little detail about this uh, to be a good person, to be a productive member of society, to move myself, my family, my community forward in the right direction and help that happen. Like, uh, my mom always talks about, you know, putting the controversial things or the things that, you know, don't make sense to her about, you know, like evolution or things like that, that she just doesn't understand that kind of seem to conflict with her faith in some ways. Putting some of those on the back burner, not, you know, out of mind, it's there. Sometimes you can kind of talk about it and think about it, but it's not the important part of her faith because it's, you know, her faith is built on being a good mother, being a good Christian and doing the right thing, teaching the children that she teaches and doing all those things to the best of her ability. And as a Spanish teacher, as a mother, you know, those things aren't the most important thing to you. You have a lot of other much more important things to figure out. Like, how do I raise these children in a way that they can go on to be, you know, productive members of society? And how do I get them? How do we pay for this or that or whatever it is? You know, those are all the things that you have to think about. So to move yourself and your family forward. So why worry about some of these pie in the sky ideas that, you know, some of the people who study them and are the best and brightest minds still don't have full explanations for, you know? So, I mean, it's still considered a theory. It's a very well-developed theory, but it's not a law of science yet. So, you know, learning it in depth for someone who doesn't work in that field doesn't matter. You know, if it is something that I can take on faith where the world comes from in some way, you know, that there is a God who created the earth and, you know, it doesn't matter to me if it was 5 billion years ago or 6,000 years ago. I just know that he created it and I don't need the explanation of it. Then, you know, okay. Then you don't have to worry about that. And I think that it helps people stay sane because we know that we have to take a lot of things on faith as people. There's, even if for people who aren't religious, they take some things on faith. They take, you know, all sorts of ideas that we are assumptions that we make about science at this point in time on faith that could be proven wrong in the future. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, the best and brightest doctors didn't believe in germs and, you know, didn't know where things, they had some mystical explanation. And that wasn't, you know, the Catholic church holding it back and saying that there's no such thing as germs and hiding that from people like people like them just, you know, act like, but it was just 
they didn't have the technology to see them. And then once we had the technology to see that happening, it's like, oh, okay, there we go. And so your paradigm shifts. And I've talked about this in on my YouTube channel, which I don't do much with anymore, but you can find my talk about the cosmogony and how that works. And we'll talk a little bit more about it at the end. But these, everyone takes things on faith, no matter what, at some point. And I think that it should be uh, that last step that you take when you think through what the universe is like, what the universe is telling you, what it, what the logic is behind it. It's not hard to take that last step of faith. And I think that's one thing that the skeptic community is driving themselves crazy with is they continue to search for that final answer of where the universe comes from and this and that. And they keep searching for those final answers, but they just keep diving deeper and deeper into a rabbit hole of, okay, now we've ran into another scientific uh, anomaly that we don't understand what this is. And okay, we kind of have a grasp on that idea. So that seems like it's right. And then all of a sudden people are like, well, that doesn't explain this part of reality. And it's like, okay, so let's go find more. And then they continue to do this. And all the meanwhile, they're operating in science on so many ways that are on a faith-based assumption you know, in, first of all, objective reality, you know, I think that, you know, I think you can explain that logically, but without a God that created logic in the universe, I don't think you can explain an objective reality very well. And so to be able to do a scientific method really does rely on something like that. A lot of the people who invented what we consider today to be the modern scientific method were doing so because they believed in a God that created a logical universe that because of that, there was natural law because of this natural law, really they were able to analyze things and run numbers and prove things to be true or false. And really, you know, if as Aquinas would say, you know, you really walk it back from the fact that, since I can do all these scientific experiments and they seem to stay stable and I can find these things are true and, you know, I can walk through all these ideas, there must be logic to the universe. Therefore, there is natural law and we can work back, you know, the other way and say we can build on this now. This understanding that there is things going on that we may not see yet, but we can discover. There's things that we can test to see if we can make it better and... And I think that's a beautiful thing to have in the scientific method, but scientists won't admit that they're taking some of those things on faith that this works, that this is a real thing, you know, <laughs> that these ethereal things we call numbers exist. I mean, you can demonstrate them physically, but what 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 does, you know, multiplying mean? What uh, All those ideas are things that, you know, obviously are true, but they point towards some sort of logic that you have to have a faith in and whatever you want to call it, it's there and you're taking that faith. Sorry, you're taking that leap of faith. And so I think it's something that's important for us to realize. And from the spiritual side of it, 
I think that it's really easy to talk about faith from the way that Aquinas does rather than the way we generally talk about it, where because there's God, obviously, starting point, and here's how the rest of the world goes. Well, Christianity does kind of look at it as the end point, you know, uh, Moses, when he sees the burning bush, he asks, you know, what is your name? Which, you know, because at the time, and even still the Bible, if you, from what I understand, if you read it in Hebrew, especially in Genesis, there's different, you know, they use different names for God. And a lot of that was because there were, they were kind of going into lands and they were finding different names for God, like other people, other places, the Canaanites, you know, called God something. And it was, it was L E L, I believe. Is, I think it was the Canaanites who did, and that's why there's, you know, so many of the prophets and Hebrew na- Old, Te- Old Testament Hebrew names that have E-L in them, you know. So, there's Israel wrestles with God, right, or struggles with God. And so, these ideas, then, he says, I am that I am, you know, I, I am simply being itself. And, you know, I don't have a name because that would, you know, you're trying to box me into this physical limitation, but no, I, I am simply just being is what God speaks back to him. And, and that's an incredible idea. And if you look at the bush at that time too it's it's a live bush that's burning but it's not being consumed by the fire and you know that's kind of the idea of what being is there for him for god is it is a life force that you know doesn't quite make sense from what we can see because it's beyond our comprehension but in his way he he does make sense and and when you step outside of time and space, God makes sense. But while you're here in this world that we live in, it's something that you do have to take on faith that this is, you know, the divine logic of the universe that gives this universe its, uh, its order and allows us to you know, gave us the ability also to look at the order of the universe and interpret it and make, you know, judgments on it and all of those things. You know, I think that's a pretty incredible thing to look at, a a God that does that. And so he's, God really isn't this starting point. You know, it's always the end point. It's okay. There's goodness in the world. So where does goodness come from? Well, there has to be, first of all, for there to be good, there has to be an ultimate good. There has to be perfection that good points towards. And so there has to be perfection that lays somewhere and, you know, nowhere in the world can we find perfection. So that must be kind of the ideal abstracted out of it. You know, we have a sense of justice. Therefore, there has to be an ultimate source of justice and of mercy. And, you know, the main thing is love. The fact that we can love is to me the one of the ultimate signs of God because it's you know 
the reason f- what that's actually the best reason for why the universe is here like why the physical world is here is that there is being itself that is creating something so that it being itself can love its creation that is being and and so I think that that is one of the best proofs is that the ultimate love is the love that created the universe that said, I am, I am that I am, I am here, I am in existence, and I want to create something that I can, that can exist with me, and just for the sake of giving it life. And I think that that's an incredible, incredible thing. So, God isn't a like this starting point. God isn't, you know, well, there's, you know, a God, so there's this. There's, you know, perfection, so there's this. It's like, no, we can look around at the world and see all these signs that point towards one thing and say, well, there must be an ultimate source that brings these things into being, and that ultimate source that does that is what we call God. And when we begin to approach it that way, I think it takes on a whole new look of what faith is. A whole new, it's like a, it's not some straw man argument that you can knock down by saying, I don't believe in God. No, you have to do a lot more <laughs> to shake my faith than just that. Because I've thought through a lot of these things. And so it's not something that I just take lightly. And you can't just flippantly uh, write off this these ideas. And I think that's something that a lot of people really try to do uh, way too often. And so the last thing that I really want to talk about before I hop into society at large and what that uh, what faith looks like at that level is, you know, the idea that going back to the I am that I am, God saying that I am being itself, there's a long history throughout the world of the gods being these um, personalities that represent physical things and, you know, the god of rain or whatever, and there's, and they represent all sorts of different parts of human nature, and they were almost like a construction that, well, there's this, so there has to be this, and there's, and I think that each one kind of goes against a, a logic within the universe that, you know, if these are physical beings that are coming down, you know, in the Greek world, that are coming down and, you know, sleeping with human beings and having the children of human beings, then, you know, then they're really not an ultimate, you know, they're not these ultimate beings that, you know, is represented by the ideas of gods that they're supposed to be. Now, Hinduism kind of takes a different approach and, you know, having multiple gods. And I think there's a something to be said there um, for what, you know, but I don't know enough about it to really talk heavily on that. But what I think you find in the myths of the gods that's missing is something that is 
supreme, something that is on a different plane. Like, you know, the idea that the gods were on Mount Olympus, it's like, well, you can walk to the top of Mount Olympus and see that they're not there. But the idea that there's a god that animates, that animated the universe the same way that there's a, some sort of life force that animates our body, you know, the fact that there's a god that has a consciousness that is reflected in our ability to look at the physical world around us, you know, he was able to create the physical world out of nothing because of his immense power. We're able to sort of do a representation of that in creating art and, you know, new technologies and all these things. We're able to take that, you know, macro amazing thing that God does and make it sort of a personal thing. And the fact that humans can do what we can do is a reflection of a God that has this sort of logic. And that's why I think you see in the myths of the gods, why they fell apart and why these ultimately faded away to some sort of monotheism, some sort of belief that the universe has a logic to it and that there's a source of that. Even Hinduism does have something along those lines, although I can't speak to what the, you know, the gods or, you know, what the god exactly is, what the self exactly is. I've read the Upanishads and uh, the Vedas, but, or rather, not the Vedas yet, sorry, but I've read the Upanishads and I don't still fully have the understanding of it, so I don't want to speak to it too much, but there is still a sense that there's a logic to the universe, and the same as in Taoism for sure. I mean, they use the term Logos in the Tao Te Ching. That might have been the translation that was used, um, that used it, but there is a sense in that, and what you get from Confucius, that there's a logic to the world, and there's a certain way of behaving because of that. And I think that that's all in the same vein, but I think that you see it ultimately in Christianity, personally. However... I can't prove it, <laughs> but I can make these arguments, and I can definitely tell you that my leap of faith is a very small step, and, I, and I'd like to talk to people who do come from different faiths on that, because I'd like to hear what that looks like for a Taoist or a uh, Hint or some, yeah, or a Hindu or Buddhist, or so I'd like to hear those ideas, because I, I think it's interesting, personally. And lastly, let's go ahead and hop into our discussion on society and what that looks like, because this is kind of where I get into the idea of the cosmogony, the framework that we all take as true in how we deal with the world and how we deal with each other. And I think it's important that we have something common there that we as people are not so far apart in our ideas, especially as a, you know, as an American society, something that's a free society, we have to have some sort of part where we agree and where we can come together and through that togetherness build something together you know that we can stop fighting and we have because right now we have way too many understandings of the world we have you know postmodernists we have modernists we have um you know your kind of traditionalist thinkers and you know, people like people who are kind of fundamentalist religion kind of idea, like don't take the last 400 years of science into account in their worldview. And it's hard to 
live in a society where these are all together because you really can't ground yourself in anything. And, and I think that there's kind of a deal that could be struck between the three that, you know, the postmodernists, you could make the argument that perspective does have a lot to do with your life, that the way you paint the world, you know, the lens through which you see the world is important and influences the way you live and influences the, you know, reality that comes to you. Because if you're a negative person and you're always complaining about this and that, then you're never going to achieve anything really either. If you're a positive person and, you know, you're just like the world is my oyster and I'm just looking for a pearl, man, and it's going to be perfect and I'm going to love life and yada yada, then you're going to go out there and you're going to attract positive people, you're going to do positive things and you're going to, you know, really work towards a vision that's positive. And so it is a little bit true. Now they take it to an extreme that makes no sense, but the idea that perspective, you know, paints the canvas a little bit is, you know, not, uh, not completely crazy. You know, the idea that an artist can look at a, three artists could look at a scene, the same scene from the same spot and paint three different pictures because they'll, even at the same time of day, you know, because they'll see different colors, they'll kind of notice and hone in on different things. They have different styles. They have different things that they like. And so that influences the art that comes out at the end. Doesn't mean that they weren't looking at the same objective, you know, view, the same reality. It just means that the way they painted it is different, and and you, you can kind of respect that. So that's, you know, the credit that I will give to the postmodernists. The modernist is a very rationalistic way of looking at life that, to its extreme, takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> it just boils everything down to, you know, this hodgepodge of sciences that, you know, can kind of make technology better, but don't really enrich people's lives at all. And it it really is a good place to be for where you're thinking of things rationally, but when you're trying to enjoy your life or build a life with a family or any of those things, it just doesn't work generally. You know, the modernist idea. And I think that that's why you see a good balance of uh, modernity and I don't know what you call it like the ancients in America is that they kind of recognize that you know this whole rationalist thing is good and it's a good lens to you know use when you're trying to prove things scientifically when you're trying to argue through philosophy etc it's all good stuff but when it comes to the beauty of life it doesn't explain that and I think that's where you get the kind of the ancients, these ideas, the medieval times, back to the dark ages, what we call them, they weren't really like that, but those times had a lot of beauty. They kind of were, even in the times when it was rough and, you know, you had the plague and people were dying left and right and all these horrible things, there was still beautiful art. There was still a faith in, you know, that this suffering means something and that you can still come together and have, you know, a society through tough times, through a faith, through this, you know, idea of God that brings you strength. And 
I think you can kind of bring those three things together and find a happy medium where when you're dealing with different parts of your life, you're dealing with those different ideas. When you're in church, you're kind of, you're not looking at this from a modernist or postmodernist perspective. It's, it's the truth. It's Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and having faith in that and trying to understand as best you can the theology in the world around you so that that faith is, that step that you take isn't a giant leap. It's, it's just a small step over a crack, not a leap over a canyon to have faith. And because it'll be a lot easier to not fall. <laughs> and so I think that that's one thing. But then when you're looking at the sciences and you're trying to make an iPhone better or do this or that or to make a new technology, whatever it is, then you can look through that modern lens. You can test and try and, you know, make things interesting. And then when you're creating art, you do paint you know, the world with your perspective somewhat, with an, with an individual's perspective. Maybe it's, if you're an author, it's someone else's ideas, really. It's, you know, it's your, it's your character, but it's your character's ideas that you're writing down almost. And you're painting the world through that perspective and through that lens so that people can understand the world in different ways. You can see the world through different colors and through, you know, you can hear the world through different sounds and all these amazing things. You know, the music that you can get from that, uh, I think that's beautiful as well. And so you can kind of bring these three things together and balance them well. And if we can do that, then I think we can kind of get back to a society that has that common set. You know, I think we have to have certain ideas about truth. I think you have to have, you know, an idea that there's an objective reality, which is something that really only the postmodernists seem to disagree with. You know, you have to have a common set of ethics in some way, at least base set, you know, that, and I don't think we have that at all, um, because the people who have, I would say, like, your kind of middle of the country people who have a, you know, tighter ethical code, they get, you know, lambasted by people who want to have a more libertine ethical code, but, you know, us in the middle of the country could care less what people in California are doing, you know, we're not trying to stop them from doing whatever they're doing, it's just, you know, kind of a, you know, live and let live sort of idea, but we want to live by our principles, and we're not allowed to speak up about our principles, we're not allowed to do those things in a lot of ways, because we get, you know, the more conservative side of ethics, at least, gets shut down, and, you know, so I think that that's a problem, and then I think that with science, there has to be a base understanding of most scientific things, and math, and all that to be able to function in a way, you know, I mean, if, if I was giving you problems and you were solving them for the metric system, you, you were taking the numbers and you thought it was in metrics, I didn't put inches or whatever, and you were doing centimeters and meters, well, you're going to get the wrong answer <laughs> if I meant inches and feet and yards, right? And so that's going to throw things off, you know, but having sort of common senses of what the science and the maths look like, you, know, you can, and there's many other fields that we can talk about. I mean, I think there's certain, eth you know, not ethics, but codes around how you can discuss philosophy, how you can, you know, interact with people in some ways, the, the societal norms, I guess. Some of those could be, you know, recodified in a way that allows for people to understand each other and why other people are doing those things, because... I think a lot of what our issues are is there are so many wide-ranging 
societal norms for different communities that are now interacting on a global scale and it's tough to manage that because you really don't know what that community is like and that that's not really something that I would take offense to if I said to my friend or my friend said to me but someone halfway across the country might because that's not their norm that they have and so you do find that as well and I think that having this com a common sense of understanding the world and coming to a, a bit of a compromise on that might help. I think it might really help us have an open dialogue and really discuss, okay, how do we move this forward? How do we evolve this understanding of the world from, you know, this perspective now to enrich our lives, enrich the, I mean, actually, you know, create more wealth so that we do have less problems with poverty, etc. And how, but also, most importantly, how do we come together and have a society that is full, that is together, that isn't, you know, at each other's throats and lets each other live. You don't have to all agree on everything and we definitely don't have to all live the same life or seek the same things, but we do have to have some sort of unity that keeps us away from killing each other, man. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that we're that far, but it's, people are just so at each other's throats, people are just so chaotic all the time on how they react to every little thing that it's tough to really interact as a society to have something that's cohesive. And I think that this working together to create a logic of what the world looks like and striking that compromise can allow us to have a common assumption that we can all take faith in. And at least for purpose of society, you know, you don't have to take faith in the Christian ideal or the Jewish idea or the Hindu or Muslim or whatever, you know, but, or you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or Green Party or whatever, you know, you just have to have certain semblances of what this world looks like. And then we can start to we just have to be looking at the same scene, standing in the same spot, looking at the same picture, or looking at the same scene, rather, and paint the picture that we want to paint from that. And as long as we're doing that, I think we can come together and compare and contrast and have a conversation about why we painted our picture that way. But as long as people in California are painting, you know, Yosemite and I'm painting a forest in Indiana, it's we're just not going to have this idea that we can come together. Maybe it just has to be a bit of a live and let live. And that's the common thing is that California says we'll govern ourselves. Indiana says we'll govern ourselves and we can live and let live on that case. But I think it's tough to, uh, have that sort of cohesive society without something along those lines. And with that, I'm going to close out and just say that I hope that we can find something there, that we can find some sort of way to come together and be able to have this conversation through a common lens in some some sort of way that allows us to move forward. And that's what I'm trying to do here with the conversation of our generation. So if you like what I'm doing, if you if you like this idea, if you like trying to get people to talk honestly about ideas and get to some sort of resolution or compromise or whatever it is, or feel free to agree to disagree and have a beer together. That's what this is about. That's what I want to create here. And if you want to take part in it, 
let me know. Go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash contact. You can email me at nicholasjamel at gmail.com. You can uh, go on Twitter at conofourgen. Follow me there and let me know. Uh, Facebook.com slash conversationofourgeneration. Like the page. Let me know. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on all this. And also you can for sure go and subscribe on iTunes. It's just search Conversation of Our Generation there and you'll be able to find it. And subscribe, like, you know, uh, leave a review, five-star rating. That stuff really helps me out if you can. And thank you guys for listening today. I hope it was a good episode for you. I know I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm finally not sick after the last like two weeks of being sick. So this was a lot easier to do this week. And I thank you guys for listening. If you're still listening, you've made it to the end and I appreciate you for just hearing my thoughts because it you know it's nice to see when people do go through these and <clears throat> listen all the way to the end and take you know obviously care a little bit for somewhat of what I have to say and so I appreciate people's attention and I just want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast and just ask you guys to share it let people know about it talk about it put it on social media, whatever it is, because it helps me out. And with that, this has been another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you guys next week.